0: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors.
1: When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon.
0: Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I've got a return guest on here. You guys know Andy Junkin from stubborn.farm, and he's back here to talk about a new book he has coming out. Andy, talk about your book a little bit and the title of it.
2: Um, it's called Stubborn, and it's how to stop being stubborn uh, uh, How to stop being stubborn with each other and start being stubborn with the habits that make your farming, farm and farm, farm family successful. And essentially – um. I'm just releasing it today. This is actually the first podcast I've done on this. I really appreciate you doing it. Oh, no, man, it's um, my pleasure. We just were fortunate enough. I set a goal of trying to get this book done by the time my baby comes. It was uh, Bernadette's uh, due date was November 10th. And um, we're going in the hospital later today, I think, to have a baby. So it's <laughs> right on, all man. happening on the same day. So <laughs> right we're we'll talking about two babies on the same day. Um, and that's, this has that's been... Right. This has been about three years uh, developing this book, and uh, I've been working with suburban Farmers for the last 16 years and yeah. developed a whole um, – I started off as a mediator. My life goal is to get rid of the need for a mediator altogether, and I've developed – over the 15 years, I've um, developed a whole different approach to farm management, farm succession plan. And so that's that's essentially – the book is, 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 is built for farmers. But just like Jesus used analogies to farming and people applied it to their own lives, a lot of family businesses can apply the same principles to their own unique situation. Yeah. For sure.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to this. You're nice enough to send me the audio version of the book so I can take a listen to it and, and get a get a feel for, for what you had going on there. And I I tell you there was a lot of stuff that jumped out to me in this that I um I didn't know. You know, a lot of other things like and we'll get into that as we talk about as we go down the uh, the rabbit hole here of your book and get things figured out but sure before we get started on that Andy let's let's talk a little bit about about Andy Junkin that came from Bob Cajun up yeah. there in up there in Canada a little bit I mean, talk about how, how where you started how you got you know, talk about your your farm life and those kind of things and how you like, got to where you are at today
2: yeah i mean my 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 christian name is mark andrew junkin um but I'm I'm the seventh generation from, from a little town called Bob Cajun, Ontario, Canada. When I was nine years old, I started signing my name, Mark Andrew Junkin of Bob Cajun. I don't know why, but mm. I mean, where I'm from is more important to me than who I am. And that's the way it's always been when I went to University of Guelph. I mean, everybody called me Bob Cajun. There's a lot of people that probably went to university and didn't know where Bob Cajun was actually a town. Um, they thought it was an actual guy's name. Um, But the thing is, I'm very (laughs) proud of where I'm from. The first white man killed in our county was actually on the back end of our farm back in 1832. And he was my ancestor clearing our farm. And I always thought that he died so I could have a right to farm. And I found out the hard way that nobody has a right to farm as a privilege. And I learned a statistic in in college that 70% of family farms have somebody that's interested in taking over the farm. And only 12% of... um, family operations pass over from grandma to grandchildren and i i always thought that that would never be me but it is i mean i'm i'm living a thousand miles away from home now right and what caused my family to be successful in farming that land for seven generations is the fact that we were stubborn and what caused us to fail is the fact that we were stubborn with each other and i'm hell bent to turn the word stubborn from a bad thing to a good thing for farm families right on right on
0: all right, so let's let's get. get we're going to talk about how to yep. get the book here, but go out and get the book and listen to what have have to have going on there. Yeah, um, folks
2: can actually get the book for free until Christmas Day, on okay. um, the audiobook. They can go get it on uh, Stubborn Farm. Just go to www.stubbornfarm. I'll I'll text you the book in five minutes, um, and you can actually listen to it on your phone just like you would listen to a podcast. It's the audiobook is about uh, two hours and forty minutes. So when you're combining this afternoon, you can actually be listening to it. And by t- and, and t- by tomorrow night you can change uh text it to your to your family members and you can just completely change how things are done on your operation after this. Right? Right on. Right on. So
0: do that. Go out and listen to this book. Uh, sure. A lot of good information in there. Um so start at the beginning here. You 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 get a your mom, I'm going to start with this. Your mom kind of gives you a, a kind of a heads up, that the farm's in trouble and says, hey, you need to go to college and figure out how you're going to save the family farm. And when you come back, you need to have a plan to do it. Because if you don't, you know, she's going to, she was going to leave your dad and, and start down this path of, of, of the you know, the, the destruction that kind of comes through uh, what you talked about. So talk a little bit about, you go to go to college. Yeah. Yeah.
2: When I went to college, I met, never missed an Aggie pub. I had a really good time at the University of Guelph. Mm-hmm. I probably met most most guys that went to Guelph. I had, a good, I had a good time. Everybody knew that. But what a lot of folks didn't know is that I basically had an office in the university library um, because the librarian was so sick of my mess that I made on the sixth floor that she gave me in my own cubicle. And basically, when I went home to farm with my dad, I had um, – Five Tupperware containers of photocopied information research to back up my 200-page business plan. I gave it to my dad. I'm in my final year of college. um, I started working on that business plan the first week I was at college. My mom, she 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 told me either you fix these. She showed me the farm financials the day I left for college, and she says if you don't fix these numbers, I'm leaving your dad. So I went off to college to to have a good time, to find a wife, but more importantly, save the family farm. And, you know, I was really surprised when my dad took that business plan that I spent all that time putting together and uh, threw it right in the fire. And then after that, um, we got in a lot of fights. My my uncle, Claude, he said, well, why don't you give the boy the field behind the barn? You can try out his ideas there. If they work, uh, uh, that'd be great. We'll try it on the rest of the farm. If they don't, it's no big deal. So that's what we went and did. But um, my Uncle Claude went and looked at those. those uh, what I was doing. Um, by August of that year, he had uh, cancer, and he barely walked the field. I don't know if you've ever seen a strong man um, fall apart because of cancer, but it was unbelievable yeah. it's amazing what how it was, skinny yeah. and how quickly yep. he got hurt. And um, anyways, he walked the field. We had a birthday party for Claude. It was his last uh, – we knew it was his last and uh, my uncle claude said that at the table just teasing his little brother he says you know your boy's going to make more money off a couple acres and you're going to make off the entire farm this year claude was just joking but my dad did not see the humor in that and a couple days later he went and plowed my crops under and from that point forward farm succession wasn't successful um we had a mediator out to the farm frankly he didn't know what the hell he was doing he was you know. essentially just there to sell life insurance and he quickly realized he was way over his head um my dad left that meeting within 20 minutes my mom she went out in the front porch she yelled at my dad do not buy any more farm equipment until you've got a son a business plan with your son and uh he went off to an auction sale and he came home with a, he bought a manure spreader and he came home with that manure spreader. I guess you could say the shit hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so my parents actually, it's a kind of shitty story to tell, yeah, but yeah. my parents got divorced <laughs> over a manure spreader, right? right. And um, shit hit the fan one day, I guess you'd say. So um, essentially I've been turning shitty situations around ever since. And there was about a decade period where I was completely lost. I mean, I was more worried. I should have been focused on getting married myself. Um, but to me, I just couldn't see, I just couldn't fathom, you know, having a wife and kids without the farm, you know, that was all part of the dream. And I want a large family. I want to have lots of kids. Um, but, um, I just couldn't see that happening. And, uh, until I got this sorted out with my parents' marriage. And the root issue, I thought, was foreign finances. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a constant battle. And um, essentially, my parents got to the point that they felt divorced. Uh, they got finally got, finalized their divorce after 10 years of having separation papers. And uh, I said to them, "And unless we have a uh, succession plan and a business plan. Um. By my my birthday, I'm going to hang myself, and I kind of meant it, but I didn't really think through like what that threat meant, right? And I found myself in a spot. I actually was sitting on a barn beam, like wondering how the hell we got to this point. The, the day came up, and I felt obligated. I felt I'm stubborn, right? And I felt obligated to follow through on that. And uh, you can read about it in my book, but what I was thinking. But the thing is, is that just at the last, I couldn't get the word stubborn out of my head. And I thought it was because I had to follow through on what I threatened my parents to do. Like, I'm a seventh generation farm boy from Bob Cajun. Like, Bob Cajun is my name. It's my name. And uh, I could not imagine doing anything but farming in Bob Cage. And uh, and uh, I was sitting on that barn beam, and I just, I, I, for some reason in my mind, I I never thought about my friends. Yeah. Uh, up to that point, I became the guy over that ten year period. Everybody knew my parents got divorced over a manure spreader. Right. And so I was the guy that everybody, when they had problems working with their dads, like my friends, I was so jealous of them. They were going off to college. They came home, like two two buddies of mine, they spent the night before our farm project was due, when, which is when we wrote the business plan. I put a thousand hours in that business plan, at least. And they spent the night before it was due. And they, they both copied off each other. They And they had matching pig barns. They built in 1996. That That's financed. Their dad's bent over backwards to get them into farming. But at some point in time, you know, they all came to me frustrated working with the family. And for some reason, I walked away from that barn beam. I always thought my my destiny was to carry on a seven-generation family tradition. And I felt really cheated of that destiny. But on that barn beam, when I was sitting on a barn beam, I, I realized that my purpose in life i don't know is to save family farms yep and so i've never been back to bob cajun since and until my boys spread my ashes on that dirt um i'm going to try to save as many family farms as i can that's very noble man so that's a
0: that's a great story like i said you know go get the book stubborn check it out a lot of good information in there a lot of good stories and i think the thing about this too is if you're listening to this these are all farm um Farm stories, farm management stories, those kind of things. But if you have any kind of a small family business, this stuff all translates to that. So check it out; it's, it's well worth your time. All right, yeah. you had a startup for a little bit, and you after yeah. college started that up a little bit. Sound like it was a pretty successful business for you, um, yeah. But you kind of keep getting pulled back to the farm. Talk about your startup a little bit.
2: Um, it was called Isofarm. Farm, and basically, we—I um, I mean, basically, I started in the back seat of my car. Um, I slept two winter, uh, I slept the winter in two sleeping bags and, uh, basically I didn't own a computer. Um, I used the university of Guelph's computer. So I'd like to thank my alumni for uh, uh, all I had was a library card at that time, but I used it. And, uh, so I, I'd actually, uh, spent a winter and finally got uh, venture capital, um, to be able to get a quarter million dollars in financing. And, uh, Four years later, we we had 15 employees, um, had five guys full-time, um, a couple of PhDs and a couple of engineers, um, uh, software engineers working for me. And we had the next, what everybody thought was the next ba- best thing. And uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, for- unfortunately, I sold 1% of my stock. I had 68% of the stock in the company. Um, I sold 1% in order to be able to buy a car. Uh, cuz essentially my 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 friends took my other little Hyundai accent for for a crop tour that didn't <laughs> didn't survive <laughs> the tour so we had to buy a new car right but the yeah. thing is is that uh um yeah i i my dad seen that my uh, seen that i bought a car with 1% stock at that time it was 2004 and um uh, 2003 we had the uh, mad cow in canada and so yep. the beef prices were extremely low and Dad asked me to come home and uh, said he was going to sell the farm unless I came home that afternoon, so I just walked away right and uh, it was basically my company was worth nothing, but it didn't matter to me all mattered was you know the home farm right yeah. that was it. goes back to the family of 1832 I didn't want it to go into real estate and uh for for building houses I mean I wanted to carry on that tradition, but you know as soon as my dad found out that my stock was worth nothing. Um, literally left me on the side of the road. And, uh, unfortunately we just had that continuously for about 10 years. We had that bickering and, uh, you know, there was nobody, my uncle Uncle Claude died and, uh, I asked my cousins to step in and talk sense. my dad, I asked it and, and nobody cared. And I had, when I left for college, there was 18 herds of cattle left the county that, that year. Everybody was saying there was no future in farming. My, my guidance counselor, my high school principal, sat me down and said, do not go to agriculture college. There's no future in farming. And I was really hurt that my, my my cousins didn't care about enough about carrying on the family name and family traditions to, to stick their neck out for half an hour to, to talk to my dad. But, you know, because there was nobody there... Um, Sometimes people over the last 15 years haven't always been nice to me. Um, I don't want to say that, but when you get into uh, but but I knew that I couldn't leave the farm unless, you know, I was I understand that there was a need, the need for somebody like Uncle Claude to step in and help everybody understand each other's perspectives. And so that's um, that's what I've done for the last 15 years. And I've helped a lot of farms in 22 states and five Canadian provinces as a result. But I'm most proud that we we've kind of developed a whole different philosophy, and that's what's in this book. It's it's hard for me to explain it to a person in, uh, over the phone in just a five minute conversation. Um, so that's why we developed this book is is that so that you can get a philosophy in the, in the course of an afternoon on your own while you're driving the combine.
0: Yep, there's a uh, one of the one of the really. Unique things, it sounds like here, is that your your Uncle Claude sounded like a, like a sweet man, and he was a very was level-headed awesome. person that could really see the force for the trees and, and, and was really
2: every Everybody to, needs that. I yeah. mean, the thing is, Casey, is that I am certain with my, I mean, actually, I'm having my fourth boy today. um You know, I think Burnett's saying that she's got cramps. We were supposed to have a baby on Friday. Um, it was the due date, but it should be, it might be today. Um, we're going to the doctors after this this podcast to to go uh, sort uh, see what's what's going on, but the thing is is that I am certain at some point in time in the future with my own boys we're going to not be able to see eye to eye. Well, we're going to need yeah. somebody like Uncle Claude to help us eat, understand each other because the temptation is always there to talk over top of somebody instead of listening to each other.
0: Oh sure, yeah.
2: And and what what the book is all about like stubborn can be a good thing and can be a bad thing and the thing is we got to get stubborn at actually listening to each other not not and and i think that that's the essence of the book is that you know um you got to be stubborn at sticking through tough times you got to be stubborn at sticking to your values you got to be stubborn at actually listening to your partners and st- even though you're tempted to talk over top of them and not listen to them yeah and that's the essence of the book is how do we turn stubborn from a bad thing to a good thing yep so your family still farming 30 years down the road Yep.
0: So I think you bring up a good point. We're going to get into this here. You know, I listen to, to Jocko Willink stuff all the time and I, I'm a big yes. fan of what he's got to talk about. He talks about, you know, checking your ego and those kind of things and, and really walking into a situation with your, um, with your mind open, right. And understand what's yeah. going on. And he he talks about, you know, the best laid plans sometimes are the ones that if you put, you know, if, you, if your dad would have came to you and said, all right, Andy, here's the deal. This is uh you're going to figure this out and we're going to, we're going to run with, with your plan. Right now your plan could come back and it could be the most cockamamie bullshit on the planet. Right. And, and whatever else. But the thing about that plan is you're never going to set up and stand up and say, Hey, you know what? I don't like this plan. And I'm I digging my heels in the ground and I'm not going to do this plan. Cause it's your plan. Right. You don't want to up with it. So you're going to, you're going to follow it to the yeah. end. You're going to make sure it works. Now, where I think a lot of these things come into play is that 80% of what your, of your plan is going to be spot on, right? It's that 20% that's actually kind of the meat and potatoes of what your plan really needs to be. And that's where the influence of experience and those kind of things come into play and say, hey, you know, if you try this, I've done this in the past and here's what's happened. You know, do you really want to go down this path, and, you know, and really kind of start painting that picture. You talk about a 10,000 hour rule in your book uh, a lot. And, and yeah the the reason i like that 10,000 hour rule is i have this and this is just my um bro science uh survey that i did in my head and, uh, uh, with my time being in the farm equipment business but i think this generation right now this this uh not not the not the not the kids coming out of the college generation and not the not the grandparents Generation, but that generation in the middle to me is like a lost generation. You talk about in your book about yes. how health sciences have come around, and you know guys retired because their body was summing up they couldn't, you know, keep going. Now they can go to the doctor and get new hips, new knees, new elbows, new shoulders, whatever else to get back in the game, and they're ready to go. They're farming in well into their eighties if they want to be right. Yeah, there's an entire generation of people that are should have taken over the farm in their thirties or their forties, those kind of things, and then had thirty years to kind of run with it and see what happens. Well, a lot of guys yeah. are dying now. Uh, and when they, when they when their dad dies, they're 59 years old, 60 years old yeah. and they've never made a decision on the farm. Um, yes. And now they have to do that. They kind of get thrust into that, uh, that pool. What I like about your 10,000 hour rule is that you go from being a, a farm laborer to a CEO in one day. Um, man, that's, that's a big jump. It, it, it mindset, everything that comes with that, all comes along with that. And I like your ten thousand hour rule because if you take that a sixty hour work week, that's that's almost three three and a quarter years that that you have there of of making those yeah. building up to making those big decisions. And we're, we're we're seeing that right now where there's a group of people that are not able to make that happen just simply because of you know circumstances that they're in. So talk to me a little bit about. um you know, what you've seen since the time you've been doing this, because the time you've been doing this right now, this last 15 years, is really that that window of time that I'm kind of talking about. Um, the folks that go from the, yeah. the farm labor to the CEO in, in one day and what that looks like.
2: Um. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I literally had a farm where um, the, the dad took over at the age of I think he was 53 mm-hmm. and his dad died. And then over that that five, seven-year period, uh, I think it was seven years, um, went and did exact opposite what grandpa said not to do. And they had very low debt. They got in a situation where they overspent. And they, they didn't calculate. I mean, basically, um, they didn't really think through what they were doing. They actually got the award for being the best farm in the county um, two years before. Because they had grown like gangbusters, um, but essentially they got in a situation where they just had way too much debt, and um, the bank actually caught it—the um, mistake uh, when they went to buy a farm across the road, and they had actually sat down with a bank, thinking, you know, it was, it was, it was June tenth, two thousand twelve, and corn was at seven dollars uh, a hundred, uh, seven dollars. Um, corn price had never been that high before. And the bank had actually calculated they were losing 200 bucks an acre. And uh, because they had double double counted some income and not counted some expenses. And essentially it was over mom's head as to how to do bookkeeping. She had taken over from her father-in-law after her father-in-law died, right? And uh, they had a very complicated estate planning where they had three, three different corporations. And it was an honest mistake, but it looked fraudulent to the bank. And essentially they said, not only are we not going to, give you the loan we're not giving you this loan to buy the farm we're going to take this farm unless you fix these numbers and um the reaction the dad had was um the sons didn't see their dad for the whole the whole day and they were worried about him so they went out looking for him and the son met him on the road and uh their two pickup trucks met I and mean, you know how you clip mirrors and their dad dropped the shotgun shell in his hand. He said, "I almost used that myself an hour ago. You guys got us in this mess. You got to get us out." And I don't have a problem with man being suicidal in that kind of state of mind because I've been there myself. Like, you can have dark thoughts. I'm not being disrespectful about that because you know, a lot of farmers won't admit to this to their neighbors, but a lot of farmers have dark thoughts. We should talk about that in a few minutes. But the thing that I had a problem with. Was that he put the blame on his sons? He didn't take personal responsibility for you know getting them also being part of the the decision making that went into the, to, to get into that farm, and that's because for the forty years before that moment, his dad had always made the decisions, and he was a backseat driver, and his and, and his brother was also involved. They split up the farm, and basically every decision it was it was it was an employee's mindset. He never took ownership and i think that from day one you've got to be involved in decision making and you've got to you've got to be involved um in the weighing the pros and cons and not just be an observer you know for my my son's uh, 5 years old i'm starting to teach him the fiddle it's really awkward for me to have a 5 year old play the fiddle I, I mean i'm surprised we have some stained glass that the windows haven't broken yet <laughs> it's really hard for me to see him do that yeah, yeah. right yeah. but i know that it's going to take ten thousand hours of me teach, teaching him of having him sit beside him watching him play that fiddle before he can go out on, a, on a stage and actually make music out of that well it's the same thing for for a farm it takes about ten thousand hours of actually being in the driver's seat making decisions before you're ready to make decisions on your own, and i I mean we have graduated licensing in some states for for driving cars, but we don't have this for family farms for decision making and what I think is really important is that within the first you know there's got to be a three year period where the son and daughter have to prove that they're this tall to get on the ride, right they have to prove that their partnership material and they have to do that through performance and improving themselves we can talk about that in a second, but what's important is that You know, there's got to be at least a 10-year period that son and daughter and dad are making decisions jointly so that 10 years after the funeral, you know that the family decision making is going to be done in the same wisdom. It's not just all of a sudden the son gets the reins and goes and does the exact opposite of what his dad says and gets himself into the And I think that's a, I mean, in the state planning, everybody's looking at transferring assets, who gets what, how to avoid paying taxes. I mean, that can be done in a couple hours, man. I've done it at a a hospital before, but how to transfer management wisdom, that's got to start from day one and we are failing. And as a result, we have so many farms failing that took generations to build. You know, this is no longer a situation, you know, back in the eighties, if you made took over a farm and you made some mistakes, you could go drive a school bus for the winter to subsidize the farm's income. If now, if you you take over decision making, like I had a guy take over, you know, he he ran the farm for 2 years, right? His dad, the only thing his dad did was write the checks and do commodity trading. He was trading corn and the joke was that he was trading corn in the hospital, right? when he had cancer. His dad his dad was battling cancer and it made him feel powerful to be able to trade commodity corn. But the thing is, um the, the son, you know, within six months after, lost five hundred thousand bucks in a couple of bad trades yeah. Because he had, he and I had actually gone to college together. I actually sat beside him and copied him and the commodity marketing in order to get um he and I was always uh, competing as to who was the best in the class. I remember looking over his test as to what he got mm-hmm. on that did on that test before get get a higher grade. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is is that I shouldn't admit to cheating, but I I, I did that one moment. Not cheating, you're not because trying. he was smarter than I was. Yes. Right? Yep. But the thing is is that it's one thing to learn in a college, but to actually do it in real life, yep. it's a whole different thing. Yep. And the thing is, is that we're really good. Um, you know, and and and, you know, back in the eighties you could go drive a school bus for the winter. Nowadays, if you you make a couple mistakes. In a couple of weeks, you could be driving a school bus or living out of a school bus the rest of your sure. life. Yeah, And and we got to learn how to make joint decisions together. And that is awkward. Like me watching my my boy play a fiddle, it is hard for me to sit there and look, watch him do yep. it. It's easier for me to pick it up the fiddle and do it myself. Yep. But that's got to happen for 10 years if you want the farm family tradition to carry on 10, uh, 30 years. Yeah, no, for sure.
0: So you bring up my next point that I want to talk a little bit about in, in there. I think the example in the book encompasses this very well. You had an example in there where a uh, uh, young, young lady and, a, and her brother come back to the farm. Sounds like they're about the same you know, within a couple of years of each other. Um, Katie was her name, and Katie uh, wanted yeah. to build a new barn. Uh, or at least increase the ventilation in the barn to to decrease the amount of uh, sick cows or six calves they had uh, due to yeah. pneumonia. And she pitches the idea to her dad. Her dad kind of looks at it and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then you know, a few days later, a new combine shows up because you know, brother wanted one. But brother was the, I'll show up when I want to and I'll leave when I want to type of mentality. Yeah. And how that morphed and grew into what you're just talking about, where they're having meetings in the morning, having meetings in the afternoon. They're talking about about having, um, buying stuff and decision-making, and having those tough conversations with each other. So talk about that example a little bit and how that evolution yeah. of that family business changed.
2: Well, I, I think the thing about Katie, you know, there was, she was dealing with some chauvinism, right. And, and her dad was very progressive and compared to a lot of other farmers I've seen, but you know, we have 5,000 years of chauvinism. So it's hard to get past, sure. you know, mental barriers, right. Her dad would, I mean, he would he would correct anybody that says Katie couldn't farm, but really he looked at her as his helper. He didn't look at her as his partner. And the thing is, when Katie had the idea about improving calf barn ventilation, 22 years before her dad had built that barn, and at the time it was the state of the art in, in the county, and they had um, barn tours, and her dad was really proud of that barn. But in that 22-year period, Ventilation systems had changed and really there's some flaws with the design. Um, And um, but when Katie suggested that change, it was an insult to her dad and her dad. I mean, her were really close, but, you know, her dad looked at it as his daughter looking a gift horse in the mouth. And, And when my dad plowed down my crops, that's exactly what happened. My dad worked his ass off. And sure, the farmer wasn't perfect, but it was there because he worked his ass off. And for me to t- tell my dad how to do things differently, it's, it was like I had an a- attitude of I'm smarter than you. Right. And as a result, we started making some dumb decisions because we got into pissing contests. Mm-hmm. Katie was having that problem with her dad. And the problem was that Katie's dad seen it as criticism, of what he was doing, rather than the two of them brainstorming ways to make the farm more efficient. And so, what I really think is important. Is from day one, that's as soon as the kids come home to the farm after college and careers, that they start making joint decisions together that cost less than one tenth of a percent of what the farm is actually worth. So in their situation, the farm was worth five million bucks. The rule I had was you can't spend more than five thousand bucks, but everybody's got to come to the table with an idea to improve the efficiency of this farm. And so that dad started listening to Katie's ideas. Like Katie wanted right off the bat to spend 30000 bucks on ventilation systems. We eventually did that after six months. But the first thing I got her to do was have an argument with her dad about trying a new type of teat dip. And what was more important was that they learned to disagree in a, in a positive yep. way rather than always beckering. Yep. And I think that that is a really important thing is that you got to get past that I'm smarter than you attitude. And it doesn't matter whose idea it is, you just make smart decisions together as a family. And that that takes surrendering your ego. Yep. And, you know, with her brother, I mean, he was basically a glorified employee. He started becoming an owner in, in his mindset instead of just a glorified employee when he started coming to those meetings with ideas to improve efficiency. Yep. And one of the things that his, her brother came to the table with was we got to clean up the shop and we got to keep our tools packed away, right? And have a rule of thumb that after you've done a job, you put your tools away or at least put them away before you go home at night. And I remember her dad not got on the phone with me and he was angry. And he took that as the son being disrespectful and critical of father. And you've got to get past that. I mean, the, I mean there's a lot of sons that at some point in time get frustrated working with their Dads, to the point that they go to the bank and uh, get the loan to buy out their parents out, and so it's, it's, it's a hostile takeover. I mean, seventy-seven percent of farms do not have a succession plan. The truth is, for the twenty-three percent of farms that do have a succession plan, it is a hostile takeover in the majority of times. It's more like instead of passing over the keys at prom, it's more like taking the gun at gu- uh, the, the car at gun practice right. And that's the dark truth about agriculture. Nobody's ever recognized is that, you know, um, you got to learn how to make decisions together. So it doesn't matter who has more equity on a piece of paper in the safe. Everybody is involved in the decision-making, and everybody's ideas are valued and listened to. So it doesn't matter, and not based on who has more control or owning interest in the farm. So the right decisions get made instead of uh, in this infatuation of always having to be right. Yeah. And if you can get past that, then, you know, dad is going to be involved in day-to-day operations. Even if it's just him going out and feeding the cats, his words of wisdom are going to be wanted at the kitchen table instead of not wanted at all. And I don't know how you – there's a lot of men that would – there's some people that want to go down to Florida and retire. And really, that's, that's fine. But there's a lot of men and women in agriculture that would love to die with the work boots on and would love it that their opinion matters, even if they're not contributing day-to-day to operations, that their opinion matters. And it's hard to put a value on that, but I think that's worth it. And I think for, for you know, what's important is that you groom your gener- the next generation and, and the, your grandchildren so that the best ideas come out as a result of family discussion because you know, everybody sees things different ways and for you get multiple perspectives, it can help you see risks and problems and opportunities as well. And so as a result, your family's going to be making the right decisions and, you know, things are going to be right in your farm 30 years down the road.
0: Yeah. So I thought kind of the, one of the, kind of one of the overarching themes that you hear a lot in, in your book is, is how narcissistic behaviors play into people's, um, Abilities to to work together or not work together, or see the force for the trees in a lot of ways, um, and I think you bring up a good point there. Where you know, if anyone that listens to Dave Ramsey, he has this this example where he talks about the powdered butt syndrome, and basically that means just, you know, if, if I if I powder your butt one time, I know more than you do, so it's hard for me to have that conversation with you about listening to yeah. your opinions about that, and. I, yeah. I catch, not that I have kids in my family business, but I mean, I catch that stuff all the time where my kids will, my oldest boy will come home and start talking to me about something. They learned at school and i I mean, my first reaction is who told you that? That's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. And, but after you start listening to what they have to say and what it means, it makes sense. I mean, some of the stuff does make sense. Some of the stuff doesn't make sense, but yeah, but at the end of the day, it's one of those deals where you talk about me to we in your book and yeah. That decision making process of going from, like you talked about with Katie and them, is that it went from this is my farm to this is our farm. And one yeah. of the, I think one of the big hallmarks of that conversation was, you know, the uncle would have never thought about buying another another farm because they're too expensive and they're overpriced, this, that, and other thing. And one pops up and they have a, a decision, uh, a meeting about that. And it was actually a civil decision conversation about here are the pros and cons. If we did it, here's what it's going to look like. And here's what we can do. If, if it's the right thing for us, great. If it's not great. And nobody had, uh, you know, had their had their dander up about anything when they were sitting there having that conversation, which I think shows a lot of uh, testament to what the evolution of that, of that family went yeah. from, from blowing.
2: But it took nine months <clears throat> of meetings. Well, yeah. So they had to have nine meetings before yeah. that. Before they could get past that be able to talk about strategic decisions yep. you know I, and I think that um, you know what makes sense to me is that you have a monthly meeting for two years and and try to keep the cat five thousand dollar cap on and be able to weigh the pros and cons of an argument about a teak dip mm-hmm. rate and before or or in Katie's example for instance she talked about um, going with uh, different input suppliers. Uh, then the local co-op, they, they could buy something online and buy it directly to the farm. And her uncle actually said, well, that's fine, Katie. Um, we can buy it directly from from the um, supplier, um, but then who's going to go out to the, to the field and actually give us agronomic advice? And, and um, you know, she learned wisdom that, yeah, you might, pay, you might be able to get something 5-15% cheaper from somebody else, but are they going to provide the service? And her uncle emphasized the the importance of relationships. And I think that that a lot of stuff like that, I mean, Katie was wise in in trying to look for, think outside the box and look at things different ways. But in that moment, she learned wisdom from her uncle as to why think they've done things the way they've done. And, you know, I think that either when you get in these conversations, either you have a situation where the younger generation challenges the status quo and as a result, you have an improvement in mindset or efficiency, or you learn a valuable we- uh, lesson. But the overall process of monthly meeting and top uh, going back and forth, and everybody just dis- uh, coming to the table with an idea, and then everybody having permission to disagree in that hour. You know, outside of that that meeting, dad's still the boss, right? But in that hour, you know, everybody's equal, and we're we're trying to transition from a parent child to professional working in relationship where you respect. Like a lot of sons, they say, well, how can I do estate planning when I used to sit in the same chair and get a, a wooden spoon in the back of my head if I talked out of turn? You know, you've got to get both generations being able to learn to listen to each other. And and more importantly, the younger generation sometimes is timid about actually expressing their opinion. And you got to get the family being able to make problem you got to problem solve how you problem solve together as a family. Right. Before we talk about big big picture things like buying a farm, doing a barn expansion, or success, succession planning. Like 77% of farms don't have a succession plan for this reason only, is that we're stubborn. Everybody comes to the table, in most situations never sat at the kitchen table for a family meeting before. And everybody comes to that meeting with expectations and gets really pissed off really quickly because everybody else doesn't have the same expectations. And everybody talks over top of each other instead of actually listening to what the other guy has to say and what should have been a three-hour conversation since it turns into a 10-year family feud as a result of that moment. And to me, what makes sense is to have 24 meetings, right, over two years, monthly meeting, where we weigh the pros and cons of $5,000 decisions before we talk about and talk about how to squeeze out an extra 10% profit here and there before we start talking about where the farm's going to be in 10 years' time.
0: No, exactly. I think you're right. And I think the one thing I like about what you've talked about there is that the importance of um, looking at the farm as not just a farm, but as a business. And I think.
2: And ours. Yeah. Not mine. Ours. Yep. We got, we got to get rid of this narcissistic mindset as you, as you tapped into before narcissism for those people that don't know what the definition means. is basically I have a four year old and he's got a, he's a toddler and he throws a temper tantrum because you know, it's a world of me, right? He's just concerned about his needs. And eventually we grow out of it. But the thing is, when we get in a family business situation, too often we fall back into it, Mm -hmm. right? Where we just concerned about our own needs. We don't care about the needs of other people or what they're feeling. And, you know, in order to have a successful business, everybody's got to be in tune with everybody else's needs and emotionals and their feelings. And more importantly, not make decisions based on my instant gratification, instant needs, but be able to make sacrifices and do what's good for the family in the long term. And we have 77% farms. I've seen a farmer one time. He says, well, why would I do estate planning? And he said, F it when I'm, when I'm dead, um, they can fight over the farm themselves. That's a narcissist, Mm -hmm. right? When he's only concerned about his own needs, He's not thinking about 30 years, um, how is my great-grandchildren going to be able to take over this this piece of ground that my great-grandfather started, right? He's only thinking about his own needs in that moment. And we got to get families stopping to think about their own needs in that moment and get everybody thinking about the long term. And, And if you can do that, you can have a successful business because that's what makes a family farm work. That's what makes a family business work is where we work together as a team. Towards towards an ultimate goal that takes generations to build, instead of just moments to fall apart. Yep,
0: for sure, for sure. All right, so let's let's look at one last thing here, and and we'll talk about this. You talked about relationships and an example with Katie there. Uh, I think that was and the reason I keep going back. I just want to yeah, talk just
2: ahead. just quickly here, yep. in case we don't have to get into it. But I have a whole chapter on narcissism mm-hmm. and how to deal with a narcissist and narcissistic thinking that that folks, I think uh, I've never heard anybody talk about in agriculture okay. and, and it, you might find it interesting. but let's carry on to the topic that you were talking about. Yeah, here. no,
0: I read, I heard, listen to that part and that was, that was very intriguing, but um, all right. So the reason I keep going back to all right, here, get a good, good, good pause here. I get back. All right. So the reason I keep talking about Katie, because I think that to me, that, there's several examples, the but go read the, go listen to them, go read them. There's tons of good examples on there. But yeah. to me, that's, what, that, that's the one that kind of encompasses all the stuff that we're talking about here, right? Talking about narcissistic nature, the young, you meet a we, we start talking about the 10,000 hour rule, all these different things start playing yeah. in. I think that, that particular example really, <clears throat> really, really brings it together. Um, one thing I used to do when I was managing sales guys was I was very very keen on the fact of relationships, right? Cause it's really, you're selling stuff. It's a relationship yeah. business. I mean, everything's the same. The one yeah. thing I wanted to make sure that everybody had a relationship with was not just the check writer, right? Not just the person making the decisions, yes. but it was everybody on the farm that was a part of that, that would sooner or later be a decision maker. And my, my response to a lot of people, to the guys I worked with was you're going to have a relationship with a guy that's dead and the guy that, or gal that's coming back in, to run the operation now. You've had ten years to build a relationship and she doesn't know or he doesn't know you from Adam and doesn't trust you, doesn't understand you, doesn't understand the thing it is. And I've heard this more times than once that well that's the way my dad did it. This is the way we're doing it now. Yeah. And I've there's a
2: lot of green paint there's a lot of farms that were green paint and as soon as the sun takes over, it goes to red paint. Just for that simple reason. That they want they want to deal with a different Guy, than their local John Deere dealer, because they want it to be their guy, not their dad's right. guy, and and sometimes dad's still in the situ in the in the in the background. They make that purposeful um transition of relationships to prove that they're in charge, yep. you know, and and that's detrimental to to the 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 business um, that's trying to sell inputs those those farms. Yep. And I, I've I've heard it one time
0: on a. Uh, uh, I sat through a class one time. I don't remember who said this. I think it might have been David Parker. Might have said this, but um, he said, "You know, back back in the '80s, you, you counted your success as a as a as a farm salesperson inputs equipment, whatever it was, by how many weddings you got invited to during the summertime. Now you have to look at it as how many yep. appointments do you have set with key decision makers on the farm." And it was. The idea of who who you're sending just because you went to the to the wedding doesn't mean doesn't mean what you what it used to mean back back twenty yeah. thirty years ago, and I think that was a really cool analogy when you started thinking about how much the idea of we have we're running a business here right you won't you don't walk into your yeah. banker and just sit down at his desk and start talking about you know the football game last night or you know the the weather or something like that. These people on these farms are running multi-million dollar businesses that just happens to be in agriculture. And more and more of the mindset is going towards that. We we've got we've got to increase either our operation, we've got to increase our um, overall aspects of what we see happen around us. We got to have something going on that is that is showing that we are we are growing our business. And I and I think that that gets lost in translation, I think, a little bit with some of the older generation that we have that are still selling inputs they're still thinking and uh, doing things the same way that they did them 30 40 years ago and it's starting to kind of they're not they're not changing with what we see happening it's this generational shift that we see happening
2: you, you gotta switch from a transactional relationship to a strategic sure, relationship and and that that part of that is by you getting having a relationship with the next generation mm-hmm. i tell you that i i work with a lot of equipment dealers um, often uh, guys buy, buy buy books in the past, and I, this is why I would design this book. I really think this is a tool. You know, you don't want to get too much into the family relationships, sure. like you don't want to get in the midst of a family feud, or else you could quickly lose that account right. really, really quickly. But the thing is, if you're able to be instrumental and in share, like simple thing like sharing this 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 link to this podcast, or or sharing this book with a client. That allows you, if you provide that wisdom as to how to do things different, well, with especially built, uh use that as a tool to build a relationship with the next generation. They'll never forget that, and they'll always buy equipment for me because you were there for them in that moment. You you just didn't, weren't there to make a sale. You were there because you cared about their longevity of the great grandchildren mm-hmm. farm. Or something. Sure, you know, and you got to get past that superficial relationship where you just don't make it intent to to write down on a note what the grandson's name is you've got to actually care in your heart as to whether that grandchild farms Mm -hmm. that should be how you measure your success as a salesman is is this how many of these grandchildren are still going to be farming this land 30 years down the road because of how i possibly influenced that family yep
0: right all right finally this is the we'll wrap it up on this one here You you have a chapter in your book talking about narcissism it's the whole chapter is about spotting one and dealing with one and um you know i I think i'd be remiss if i didn't throw this in here because a lot of the stuff you talk about in your book revolves around narcissistic behaviors and and what that looks like so yeah talk a little bit about that andy and and how that research that you did came into that
2: well i mean my dad I, i i accused my dad of being a narcissist for years and, and he is. I mean, he plowed down my crops to prove a point, right? And But, you know, I myself was a narcissist, right? We both were. And the thing is, when you're a successful business owner, you have salesmen come on your farm, and they're basically there to, to kiss your butt, right? You have employees. You say jump, they say how high? And we've got the ripe environment for narcissistic mentality where it becomes a world of you. You know, even what time dinner's on, on the stove is based on your schedule. It's really easy trap to fall back into. Um, like I said, falling, we, we go from toddlers to being mature adults. And then, you know, especially in art, when it comes to estate planning, we get really, it's really easy for anybody to fall in that narcissistic mindset where you're just concerned about your own self-interest, not think about the needs of others. And, you know, I was a narcissist at one point, and the biggest compliment I ever got from my wife is she was just blown away that I, I, my friend had actually called me a narcissist because, you know, but it came as a result of 15 years of working with farmers that I seen falling in the trap of narcissism. Um, I had a situation, you could, I, I won't get into the details of the story, but the essence of what made me realize, I mean, if you go to Udemy or any type of. Online form, the essence of what psychologists these days recommend is is basically divorcing an individual, and they they feel that narcissism is something that, that's like uh, if you check uh, check nine traits on a box out of twelve, then you're a narcissist, right? You're diagnosed as a narcissist. I think that we all tend to be narcissists a little bit from time to time. You know, sometimes you're at a four, some days you're at a ten. Yeah, right. Sure. All depending on the uh, the circumstances, and especially when we get into estate planning and succession planning, we can be very focused on our own needs and stop thinking about our grandchildren's needs. And and but the essence, uh, and and really, when if you're a salesman, listen to this, you know, getting a family to actually stop, uh, farmers to stop complaining about their own interests, and getting them to focus on the grandchildren, is a game changer for the whole perspective of the future of the family operation but i think that that narcissistic traits like narcissistic traits are like having a me first mentality or lacking empathy or uh, being exploitative or manipulative or having an attitude of entitlement or uh, shifting blame you know if we identify the 10 traits of what what makes up a narcissist and then ask ourselves okay how do we do the exact opposite of that And how do we make that a a foundation of our culture within our family business so we have zero room for narcissism on this farm, right? And when somebody is being a narcissist, we can call them out on their BS and make them self-aware and forgive them and just say, okay, let's make sure we, dad, like you can call somebody out and say, dad, you're not being empathetic. And as long as you've had as a family, an understanding uh, discussion about what empathy means and how that's a narcissistic trait, and how that's detrimental to a family uh, uh, and a business's success, then dad understands what empathetic means and what the daughter means by that. And then he says, you know what? You're right. I'm going to try not to be more empathetic to understand your perspective, not just be concerned about my own. And I think that that's critical in shifting your mindset of a a team from me to we. Yep. And that can go for a family business, but also can go for any sure. type of business. And just and I have uh, on, on my website, I have basically um, a sign that I get a lot of families to hang up. And it's basically taking the five, the 10 traits of a narcissist. And we, we condense it down to five rules that mean exact opposite of what narcissism is. Like always be humble, empathetic. I'm going to just rhyme it off to you because I think it's so important. Always be humble humble and empathetic. Always consider everyone else's needs, not just your own. Take responsibility. Always focus on problem-solving rude issues without blame or playing defense. Uh, Three, never feel entitled to more than you've earned. Work hard to earn everyone's respect daily. Four, treat everyone with kindness, respect boundaries, and never take advantage of anyone. And number five, never need praise or be envious. Be grateful and daily appreciate everybody else's contributions. And if you can get a family culture that lives by these five principles, your grandchildren will be farmed someday. Well, I think that's a
0: that's a good place to stop, man. There's a there's a lot of good information in your book. Yeah. Go to uh stubborn.farm and pick up Andy Bob Cajun and Junkins book there and and it's uh it's stubborn. Check that out. There's a lot of good information there. Final things you want to throw? It's it's free,
2: it, and the book is free till okay, Christmas. Exactly. Christmas. So if if you like this podcast, share it with somebody else, and and share share the book with yep. somebody else. Put it on Facebook and, or Twitter for yep. all I care. You know, let's try to get it out to as many people as as possible and change family Christmases as a result. Oh, well, final thoughts, Andy, before we close things down. That's that's pretty much it. Let's 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 just improve the odds of your family still farming together in thirty years time, and that the only way we're going to do that. Is by everybody stop being stubborn with each other, and everybody start being stubborn at the habits that make a farmer and a farm family oh. successful.
0: All right, Andy, uh, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing. What's the easiest way to do that? Just go to your website.
2: Just go to yeah. stubborn farm farm and all my contact information's there. And uh, yeah, um, you can you can check up. Uh, give me a holler anytime. Um, I always like talking to farmers. So. Um, you know, most of the time I'm just giving away free advice, but you know, I'm there to make sure your family's still farming together in 30 years' time. And, you know, hopefully my, 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 whatever my next son is going to be called, if anybody's got an opinions as to a good boy's name, <laughs> write in the comments below because, uh, we're a couple hours from now, it looks like we're going to be needing a boy's name, but, uh, it's all about your grand. Hopefully, um, hopefully my, my kids can, uh, be able to come out and play with your grandkids someday. And uh, they'll be farming together awesome. as well. That's a good.
0: good, congratulations, man! It's awesome that you're that you're that close to having a have another one on the ground, and and uh, look forward to hearing from you when uh, when everything gets uh, gets settled down. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, thanks, a lot, Casey. All right, All right, man, I really I'm Casey more with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the YouTube version of this over at the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. And uh, go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving on related. You got some big, big stuff coming out here over the next couple of months, and uh, have that out there as well, plus a new website, hopefully up here by the first of the year. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Andy, Bob Cage and Junkins, so mostmart folks..: out.
1: When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon.
0: Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800
1: in time again through the years you'll find us here moving higher